Pricey's final tour of duty. From PNG with the Australian Defence Force. G'day and welcome to Listener. I'm on the balcony of a tiny hotel overlooking the Wee Whack Harbour. The sun's about to set. But in the 1940s, there was extraordinary history being made right here. Military history. Of course, it was the Second World War. And only a few kilometres from where I stand, the Japanese surrender and many, many other historical military moments. We talked to some of our young diggers who just love military history from our third brigade. I think you'll like this. So, uh, ladies and gents, welcome to the uh, Cape Guam Memorial Park. This site was the site where the Japanese generals uh, conducted their formal surrender ceremony. The Australians lined this airfield with the enormous parade from the 6th Division. And if you go on the Australian War Memorial website, there's a number of photos uh, and videos of that parade uh, and of the signing of the, of the article. All of these um, small white stones uh, were headstones for soldiers that were buried here who have now been uh, reinterred at Bamana uh, War Cemetery in Port Moresby. We're walking down what was once a Japanese airfield. What does this place mean to you, Jack? Uh, it's something special to really come out and visit, uh, just knowing all the history that yep. was here and, um, and everything that happened right at the end of the war. So the sacrifice both on the Japanese behalf and, yep. and the Australians' behalf to be here. Tell me what happened at this place. So this is the site where uh, General Adachi actually surrendered uh, to the 6th Division commander, yep. um, which saw the handing over of a samurai sword wow. uh, and then the signing of the surrender. So, a very special place. And were the Aussies here too? Yeah, so the Aussies lined up a huge parade, we were wow. just told. Um, and so there's photos of, of those parade on the Australian War Memorial site. Um, and it was obviously an incredibly special occasion um, and very sad, I imagine, for the Japanese soldiers. Yeah. Okay, let me, let me put this to you as a, as a young Australian soldier. How would you have felt uh, being one of the young Japanese soldiers in this place? Oh, I think it would be a, an incredibly sad moment, but then also uh, maybe a bit of relief to know that the war is over. Yeah, because it must have been... Well, it was a terrible time, let's admit. So this is this, this place here, this uh, white triangle, is this where it happened? I believe so, yeah. This is the exact site. So it's pretty special to, to be here, something um, mm. now in 2023, something that happened in 1945. But important for you guys to, to realise what happened to it here too, isn't it? Yeah, it's, in, it's super important for us to understand the history of, of what's happened through through World War II because we can learn from that and, and make okay, sure... Okay, what have you learned? What have you learned through this? The main thing that um, I've gotten out of this trip so far is understanding the geography and how difficult it would have been to actually assault any of these positions and, yeah, the sacrifice on both the Japanese side and our side. Um, and so hearing the Victoria Crosses from our side, oh. I'd be interested to hear more about the Japanese and the sacrifice that they've had to make and the bravery that they showed. This is a 75mm cannon... Uh, predominantly designed for firing at aircraft, but can do direct fire rolls as well and can fire anything between uh, black, HE, illumination, all the usual natures that you would expect. Uh, as we mentioned up on the hill, 
we lack was a uh, aerodrome, seven, nine aerodromes across the area. Uh, and so this was part of the integrated defence that defended those aerodromes with a particular threat from the Americans who we knew had their air base out at Atape. And as you can see, it's an incredible position, uh, very well sighted, offers an incredible view out to the west and right across the, the WIWAC area. Anyone approaching uh, from Atape would have been directly opposed by this battery. Uh, and one story uh, about this battery and, and about that conflict was uh, a Major Ralph Shelley, who was a uh, US Army Air Force or uh, Air Corps pilot uh, who operated a bombing squadron out at Itape. And his squadron was tasked to fly all the way through to Weewak and bomb the main airfield at Borum Airport where you landed yesterday, which had numerous Japanese aircraft, uh, Zeros and all sorts over there. Uh, whilst they were transitioning across this open space, Major Ralph Shelley's aircraft was shot by one of these cannons and he had an engine fire and he knew that he was had altitude and time enough that he could fly out over the ocean and parachute out to safety or potentially even start the return to base and ditch somewhere a bit safer uh, but he knew that if he did that that um, his squadron would starburst and all return to base and that the mission would be a failure and so he chose in the moment to continue on and he glided his aircraft and led the squadron all the way to Borom Airport, where they bombed it very successfully and destroyed hundreds of Japanese aircraft and rendered the airport uh, inoperable for some time. Uh, however, once that mission was complete, uh, the time was up for Major Ralph Chelly and he ditched his aircraft out in the bay here and was captured uh, by the Japanese. Uh, and he was unfortunately executed uh, later on uh, in the war after being a prisoner of war here for some time. Uh, but for his uh, bravery, uh, he was awarded the uh, Congressional Medal of Honour. And I think that's, that's one of the uh, really amazing stories of, of sacrifice, uh, not, not only in the moment, but chosen to achieve the mission. Uh, I think it's an important one to remember. Um, but this site, um, but, so the gun itself was named uh, after the 88th anniversary of the Emperor. It's got nothing to do with the calibre. It's obviously at 75mm, um, but very effective. Uh, and obviously long-lasting. You'll see these all around Papua New Guinea and they're still standing in their original position. Um, so the Australians assaulted through this position in the assault that we talked about up on the hill. And as you get around and have a look at these guns, you'll see uh, gunshots, rocket holes and all sorts of things uh, where they've been affected by combat. Uh, but they would have been used in a direct fire role uh, as the Australians were advancing up this position. So just to add that extra level of complexity uh, as you're trying to clear up to Mission Hill. This uh, memorial in particular was positioned in uh, 1964 and it was um, commissioned by the Japanese Prime Minister. And it was the first time that the Japanese Prime Minister had actually visited Papua New Guinea uh, since the war ended. And it's a beautiful shrine uh, dedicated not just to the Japanese soldiers, but to all soldiers uh, who paid the ultimate sacrifice uh, fighting over this land in particular. To talk through some of the stories, uh, so the Japanese 18th Army occupied here, uh, and to set the scene, uh, we've got the US, uh, the Americans out in Itape, uh, in an air base out there, which is about three hours drive to the west of us on the coast here. Uh, the Australians had completed uh, clearing through the Kokoda track. They'd pushed the Japanese off the northern beaches at Gona and Sananda, all right, and they were reorganizing and positioned. And the decision was made by blaming to come and clear the Japanese through the north coast of Australia. Uh, so the Australian 6th Division moved 
and occupied uh, Itape, relieving the Americans. And the Americans were then able to move on and fight uh, in other areas out to the east in the Solomon Islands and whatnot. Uh, and from there, the Australians began planning their assault down the coast uh, towards Wiwak. Uh, but to do that, there were a few problems. And one of these was the fact that the Japanese had a naval garrison on Mushu Island, which is the low-lying one you can see out there with that large grass patch, uh, and Kairiru Island, which is the mountain uh, in behind it. And there's a body of water in between those two. Uh, that Japanese garrison had thousands of Japanese Marines on it. But in particular, we knew that there were four 120 millimeter naval guns between those two islands. The problem was that we didn't know where they were or what orientation uh, they were facing. Uh, and so uh, Zed Special Force Patrol was brought together, 10 men, and their mission was to go out to Mushu Island, identify those guns, note down the position on a map, and then report back to the divisional headquarters so that we could enable the planning of uh, the assault and the amphibious landing that the Australians were conducting to Leeway. So they went out by night uh, on a small Navy vessel. They were dropped offshore in little foldable rowboats and they rowed ashore. Unfortunately, their surf negotiation wasn't so good and it was very dark and they were rolled over in the surf, uh, washed ashore and lost a lot of their equipment, radios, rifles. These sorts of things were, were ruined by the salt water, but they carried on uh, regardless. And they moved up into the island and started their reconnaissance. As they patrolled around, they found numerous Japanese positions that were established but not occupied. Uh, with guns and, and whatnot, uh, and they went through and sabotaged a lot of those spots. And they caused so much disruption on the island that the Japanese believed there was an entire commando company that had landed on the beach and was causing them all sorts of drama. So the Japanese were on the hunt and the entire island was looking for these 10 men or what they believed was a whole company. Uh, and they continued on, uh, but they encountered trouble eventually and they were ambushed uh, by Japanese patrols and a few were injured and it caused the team to be um, split up. And they split into uh, two teams and were moving around the island, some trying to deal with the injured and some trying to carry on with the mission. Uh, and eventually the decision was made. Uh, once we found the guns and located them and marked it on the map, the decision was made that we need to, we need to get out because the situation was becoming <coughs> very poor. Uh, and a few men pulled together some logs and sticks and they tried to build a raft to get off the island on the east coast. Uh, but unfortunately, their raft was destroyed in the swell and they were washed ashore and eventually captured uh, by the Japanese and held uh, here as prisoners of war for a long time and were later uh, executed. Uh, the other surviving uh, team split up again. Two men took to the, took to the ocean uh, with uh, some logs and tried to paddle back to the mainland, uh, but they were never seen again, unfortunately, and it's assumed that they were eaten by sharks. Uh, one man, Sapper Dennis, made it all the way <coughs> to the southwestern point of Mushu Island, jumped off and swam three kilometres to Cape Wom, which we'll, do, we'll visit later today. Um, once he got to Cape Wom, he shot off into the jungle and he was attacked by a cassowary, which he managed to uh, negotiate his way around. He bumped into a, a, a Japanese patrol, killed one of the uh, Japanese and then shot off into the, into the jungle. Uh, and eventually he heard the voice of one of his good mates that he went through training with who was the patrol commander of an Australian uh, section that were out at the time, made himself known to them and uh, was the only man of the Japanese, uh, wrong, of the Australian Z Special Force Patrol that made it back to the 6th Division headquarters. Luckily, he had the map and all the locations and orientation of those guns uh, and the 6th Division were able to plan the clearance of WIWAC 
uh, based on that information. Uh, so a great sacrifice and a loss of, of nine lives, uh, but enabled the eventual clearance of, of the location we're in today. So for a bit of orientation as to why this location was so important, uh, Japanese had nine aerodromes in addition to their naval garrison here in Wewak. So one of the major aerodrome was Boram Airport, which you landed on uh, yesterday. Uh, but there was another out of Dagua, which is just out here. They were further along the beach. And then uh, Moen Barracks, where we were yesterday, was another of these aerodromes. Right, so it was a key logistic point for the Japanese, um, although they were isolated at the time uh, and they were reducing in supply. And it, the, the issues here for the Japanese were becoming quite severe by the time we arrived. However, uh, we came through. So the commandos landed at Dove Bay, which is on the far side of uh, Moen Barracks. Uh, and that decision was made due to the fact that we knew that the guns the Japanese had were orientated into this bay here, defending it. Uh, so we went right around. Also, the Japanese had uh, mini submarines, which they hid in the sides of cliff faces out on Kairuru Island that were able to launch out into this bay here and do some short distance tasks. Um, so that landing on uh, Dove Bay was a deception plan, right, and uh, disorientated the Japanese and enabled uh, 214 Battalion to advance up this coastline and then come up to seize Mission Hill. So they, they came up this feature here as we're facing at it. And as you can see, a very difficult piece of terrain uh, to attack as a dismounted uh, infantry battalion. Uh, Alpha Company had the lead and they were advancing up the hill here. And uh, just shy, they became bogged down by Japanese machine gun fire. And a key machine gun was out here on this uh, spur line where you can see these rusty roofs. Uh, and that had the platoon that was in the lead fixed in location. And there wasn't too much that they could do. Uh, and so one of the soldiers, uh, Private Edward Ted Kenner, took up his Bren gun and charged that position uh, of his own accord, firing from the hip uh, as he ran forward and expelled uh, all the ammunition he had, destroying that machine gun pit. Uh, and his mates uh, reported after the attack that they watched as he charged and they could see Japanese bullets passing through his shirt as he ran forward. Uh, once he had finished firing and, and expended all that ammunition, he noticed there were two more Japanese rushing across to recapture that pit. He called for a rifle, uh, which was thrown to him by his mates, and he dispatched those two soldiers as well. And that enabled the attack to continue, and eventually uh, the company seized the top of this feature. And for his bravery, uh, Ted Kenner was awarded the Victoria Cross, and he survived the war and returned uh, to Victoria, where he lived out the rest of his life. I'm glad you don't know too much about it, mate. <laughs> yeah, obviously it's not something you're interested in. Not at all, no. <laughs> Sensation. I think it's really important that um, when people come here, we, we deliver this uh, yeah. sort of uh, information because everyone in Australia knows about the Kokoda track and yeah. everyone's familiar with it in some aspects. Um, but what we don't know, or what lots of people are missing, is that those men that fought the Kokoda track then came here and fought a completely separate campaign yeah. that was equally as harsh and, and difficult for them uh, and uh, they're, they're worthy of recognition as well. Yeah. Uh, so it's really important, I, I believe. You stop wanting pricey live from PNG on Townsville's Triple M.